when he said, you know, that there's, there's no testable mechanism within MMTS, I suggest there is. Just offer everybody a job and see who turns up. And according to your theory, nobody should. So, you know, that's it's dead simple. If, uh, if, if interest rates equilibrate so that the people who are currently on the unemployment queue are actually genuinely, quotes, enjoying leisure, then they won't turn up when you offer them a 10 quid an hour job or a $15 an hour job. And uh, that'll prove the point one way or the other, won't it? Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today I talk with systems consultant and GIMS associate, Neil Wilson. Neil's also the co-author of the 2020 paper and accounting model of the UK Exchequer, which is published by the Gower Initiative for Modern Money Studies, or GIMS. This is part one of a two-part episode, but it's also part four of a larger seven-part series with all three co-authors, first individually and personally, and ending with a joint interview with all three, where we discuss the paper in depth. Like my previous guests Patricia Pino, Andrew Churguin, and others, Neil discovered modern money theory, or MMT, by stumbling onto Bill Mitchell's blog. A precursor to discovering and understanding MMT was a lawsuit Neil led against the UK government in 1999 in the defense of tens of thousands of people. At the time, UK law allowed, and unfortunately still allows, for workers to be treated such that they can be taxed as if they're an official employee, but treated in other ways as if they're not. In the era before Brexit, the lawsuit was an attempt to override British law with EU law. Although unsuccessful, it led Neil to question more deeply the government and how it really works. Neil also talks about his job as a systems consultant. Companies and the government choose to bring him in. They pay him to come in to evaluate and improve their computer systems. Only sometimes, however, do they give him the power to actually make his recommended changes. So it seems to me that some of these organizations want the appearance of doing their best without actually having to do their best. Rather than eliminating what's bad and replacing it with good, the very idea of eliminating anything at all becomes simply and seemingly an impossibility. It results in the system becoming overly complex, paint on top of paint on top of paint. And for new pieces to now have to overcompensate for the old ones that really shouldn't be there at all. This is a parallel for the final three episodes in this seven part series, which is all about the overcomplexity of the UK economy or exchequer and its 800 years of redundant paint jobs. Finally, I have some thoughts about the very first thing Neil and I talk about, which is unrelated to MMT, Neil, and his paper. 
To avoid distracting from the heart of our conversation, you will find these thoughts after the closing music at the very end of today's episode. But for now, on to my conversation with Neil Wilson. You can contact me on Twitter or Facebook, and you can email me at activistmmt at gmail.com. If you're enjoying Activist MMT even a fraction as much as I enjoy creating it, and if you're safe and secure and happen to be lucky enough to have some public deficit kicking around in your pocket, I hope you might consider becoming a monthly patron of Activist MMT. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get exclusive content and updates, several days of early access to every episode, and for some, super early access, weeks and sometimes even months in advance. You can start by going to patreon.com slash activist MMT. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Whatever you can afford, I would be very grateful. Thank you. Now, on to our conversation. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Everything's uh, everything's good here. The sun is shining for a change, which is uh, good in England. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for sacrificing your uh, your immunity for one more week for the say, for the MMT project. Yeah. Well, this is uh, what you have to do, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, you had your first shot. You had yeah, that. yeah. I had mine, but back at beginning of April, I think it was. Okay. Which yeah, one? Yeah, back at Easter. Which one did you get? Uh, AstraZeneca. Okay, I think the I British have. one. <laughs> Do you know people have had uh, side effects with that one? No, just the uh, just the usual uh, shakes and shivers and just feeling as though you got a bit of a, a bit of a cold, that yeah. sort of thing. Okay, I have a, a friend who got. I've had a couple of friends who got pretty sick after the second Pfizer, and uh, I had a real minor something after the second one, like a, a minor, very minor fever for a couple of days, but. Um, um, What's your audience like? What is it mostly American? I think so. Right. Um, I know that there's listeners all around the world, but yes, I think probably the vast majority is American. Right. Um, I honestly don't check my statistics every now and then because I, I don't <laughs> okay. think I don't think popularity is something I will ever really suffer with. Um, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it's just making sure that I get the uh, I get the slant right. I don't want to start talking in, uh, in in terms that people will understand. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, actually, before we start, if I may, mm-hmm. uh, I I just have just. I, I wouldn't normally do this, but just something rather like enormous just happened yesterday. And I would just, if I'll just like to share it with you. Um, uh, our first ever, uh, our first ever offer on our first ever house was just accepted yesterday. All right. That's good. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, life just turned a little insane at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so you're buying one then, are you? We are, we are buying our first house in, in, uh, and actually, uh, I, I mean, I assume it's the same over there. The market is absolutely insane right yeah. now. To be yeah, as, as a seller, as a as a buyer, it is a really horrible, awful time to yeah. buy right now. But we had to. It just we had to take the opportunity, and uh, we ended up just hitting the jackpot. We just hit the jackpot. That's we found a really news. we found a really large house, and we actually underbid their offer by fifty thousand dollars. Because it needs work, it needs significant yeah. work, you know. Uh, and 
And you would think in this market that that, that would just be rejected out of hand. Yeah. And they didn't reject it out of hand. Right. And so actually I was really thinking about how, about M MMT kept on coming back to me because I kept on thinking about the psychology of the situation and they, that, 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 that is all that matters is the psychology of this situation. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like I took advantage of that because we have to do the work, but it's just like that kind of like really informed how we handled it. And it just, we got an enormous home with an enormous backyard yeah. uh, and in 30 under, 30 under asking. And yeah, in this that's, market, that's, that's a miracle. Good. Is it in yeah. presumably over there? Is it, it once you actually agree a price? Is that that? It, there's no way that they can get out of it now. No, uh, both parties can get out of it without penalty oh. until until. I mean, I mean, I actually am completely inexperienced, so I'm just <laughs> as best as I understand. Yeah, I've been driving. We've been driving a real order crazy with like really you know inexperienced questions, but but we still we handled this situation with like we couldn't have handled it better. But we drove our real order crazy behind the scenes while doing it. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Uh, uh, what was your question? What was that? Well, it's just it, it, in, in England, of course, you can. We have this thing oh. called gazumping, which means that somebody else can come in and, and outbid you as you know, when you're halfway through buying it, and uh, and, and then oh. you end up left with a lot of uh, a lot of costs and no house. So that's, oh no uh, no no okay no <laughs> I, I I don't think we can be screwed in that way. Yeah. Um. The we can get out of it scot free if, for example, the inspector. You know, we you bring in an hmm. inspector. And if he finds anything wrong that we couldn't have known about, that's, you know, it's, it's an old house, 1893. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if he finds something, uh, you know, really wrong that we couldn't have known, we tell the owners, you got to fix this or you got to lower the price so we can fix it. Yeah. And if they yeah. don't, then we can back out with no penalty. All right. right um, yeah. So I don't think that someone coming in and scooping it at a higher price is possible, but I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's this, it's the difference in 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 the UK. We have two <laughs> historical again. We have two different land law systems in in the UK. We have the, there's the English system for anything that's in England and Wales, and then there's a the Scottish system for anything that's in Scotland. Oh. And in in England and Wales, the um, uh, the, the a land a land transaction has to be in writing, and it's not completed until what's known as exchange of contracts. Okay. And so, right up to that point, somebody can come in with a higher bid, and then you, you're just out. So you know you, you go through this whole process. Oh. You you hire surveyors. You you go through all the checks and all the rest of it. And then you know two days before you're due to exchange contracts, the guy can say, "Sorry, I've somebody's offered me you know oh, thirty thousand quid more." You know, oh. <laughs> yikes! That sounds. So you have to you have to keep searching. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, until the key's it. in your hand, you have to... Until you've got that what's called exchange of contracts, and they hold off on that, obviously, until the, until the absolute... Because you have two stages. You've got exchange of contracts, and then there's a there's a period of time to completion. So it's a bit like in banking, you get clearing and settlement. It's the same, mm -hmm. sort, of, mm -hmm. same sort of thing. You set the contracts up, and then you obviously you, you settle, a, settle a week later in, in, in monetary terms. But until those contracts are set up, there's nothing, and you've got no comeback. So you can spend thousands and thousands and thousands on, on uh, checking things out, and then oh end up in, out of pocket, yeah, particularly when the market's hot like now. So yeah. yes, gazumping is back in the in England. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, glad. It's I, so yeah, I don't it, think it, we it, can I don't think we have to deal with that. But. Yeah. So hopefully yours is a, is slightly more rational than ours. It's it, there's been talk about fixing it for years, but as you know, vested interests and all that. Uh, wow. No, I'm sure we have our own horrible 
versions of stuff like that, but not, yeah. I don't think that particular thing, but yeah. I will keep that in mind for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it probably, it's probably fixed in the, in the US. They, uh, um, the, the, the law there on, on certainly when it comes to property tends to be fairly more, uh, far, rather more robust than ours. Ours is basically feudal and that hasn't really been updated in hundreds of years. So, you wow. know, okay. <laughs> well, luckily we started a hundred years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, 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 let me tell just a, a very brief story about, about the house and then, and then we'll get more formally started. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so first of all, the backyard is more than double the side of uh, size of any house on the entire street. It is, mm. it is about 60% the size of the football field and it's all tree covered. It has an above ground pool, which I don't care about where, but it just happens to be there. My boys are very excited about it. And <laughs> it has a 20 foot shed. It has a fire pit. It has, it has a, a concrete, you know, patio uh, out in the back. And, and, um, the, the weirdest thing about it, the, the biggest upgrade that we have to do, it's not critical when we move in, but like, you know, as soon as possible, is the only way to act that's three floors there's a really nice finished attic yeah and uh it's basically the size of two small bedrooms and we want to make that our office we want to make that like a primary spot you know yeah. and but the only way to get up there first of all the staircase is very uncomfortable it's a very sharp yeah angle and you know i'm okay with it but you know it's definitely discouraging and my wife is not comfortable with it understandably yeah. so luckily it's a half size staircase so the first thing we have to do critically it has to happen is we want we need to replace the staircase so it's a modern normal angle staircase. Yeah, yeah. And so that's going to happen before we move in. But the weirder thing is that the only way to access it is through the master bathroom. <laughs> so, <Crikey. laughs> so, so our boys, we want our boys to go up there and have you know, there's a, a whole side of it where they can just you know go nuts, whatever. But yeah. they can't do it if we're in our bedroom or if we're interrupting our privacy. And if we're and if we're in the bathroom, we they can't come back down. So it's just like. It's so stupid. So the yeah. biggest thing we want to do is on the other side of the master bathroom, on the other side of the stairway, is another full bathroom. Yeah. And I can only presume that, that they added this. Actually, I'm thinking this for the first time. They must have added this. There's another full bathroom downstairs. We have three. It's ridiculous. So so what I want to do is rip out that bathroom and put the access to the stairs on the uh, other yeah. side. And, and you know, so that's a good chunk of change. Probably the stairs plus the ripping out the bathroom and all that is probably a good ten thousand dollars yeah but yeah, once yeah. we do that the house is going to be like i mean the 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 value of the house is going to jump so much after yeah. we do this so you know it's, it's just really it's just really exciting so I, you know. <laughs> yeah it is it's great when you uh, when you get in there it's yeah. uh, when you finally get finally get your hands on uh, on your own house um, yeah. it's uh, yeah i mean i've just shifted into this one what a couple of years ago oh, yeah? it's brand new is this house and uh, mm. i'm still, still trying to get all the all the faults fixed with it but i think i'm about there of course a certain pandemic got right in the way but that's mm-hmm. uh, that's the way it goes well, you said you said brand new you, you yeah. mean brand new to you or was it no it's newly li- built it's newly built it's a newly built oh, house is this one um oh, wow. brand spanking new so it's uh, uh yeah it's just about a couple of years old now and uh, yeah and a few faults with it when they built I it so. I presume it replaced an existing home. Yes, it did. Yeah. So yeah, I was uh, I was well on the chain, as they say. It was a house <laughs> I lived in twenty years previously. Oh, I, you! Oh, you built you destroyed your own house and built a new house. No, 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 no. I the house I was in uh, in previously was uh, uh, I've been in for twenty years and obviously traded up to this one. Oh, uh, so I oh, moved, moved, out of, moved out of town into the country. So uh, okay, up, up towards the. Not quite on the coast, but I can see the sea out of my bedroom window, which is oh, which wow. is kind of cool. 
Wow. Okay. Well, uh, that's that's all right. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, like, thank you for letting me share that. Um, yeah, it's fine. I love it. Yes, it's it's. I'm just. I'm really pleased for you. Uh, I think. I hope it it turns out just right. Well, thank you. Thank you. We feel honestly very very lucky. So we'll we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. see. Uh, I'm Getting just you know. before the door closes is definitely the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we drove. We drove by last night just to show our boys out front, and yeah. I was like, I don't want them to see that we're stalking. The deal has to still go through. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, anyway. Um, okay. So, Neil, thank you so much for coming on. I'm I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, lots of things I have in mind. I was I was re- uh, reading some of your blogs. Um, and actually, I just realized this morning that I had actually I I think I I heard an interview with you, not realizing that it was you, and I connected that this morning. Right. And that was uh, with your talk with Phil Armstrong. And you actually said something in that interview that really struck me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a quote. There's basically a quote that I keep saying that comes from you in that interview, and I never made that connection till this morning. And that is, uh, basically, the plane is fine, the crew needs to be, repl- the crew is terrible, yeah. um, you know, the government and whatever. Um, so I just I was shocked that that was you. Um, uh, so okay, so my first question this is the first question I ask everybody, both academics and uh, layperson, laypeople. So I would like to ask you, Neil, could you please introduce yourself? And can, can you please describe your life and thinking before you ever heard of MMT? Yes, I can, I can certainly try that. Yeah. Hi, I'm Neil Wilson. I'm a systems person, systems consultant as by trade, uh, which essentially means that I, uh, I go into, uh, into firms and uh, generally part, point out the sartorial status of various emperors that they have uh, and charge them for it. <laughs> um, so that's that's largely what I, uh, I I do for a living. Um, usually involves lots of computers um, and various other systems work uh, along those sort of lines, uh, and uh, and occasionally firing people, particularly if they're useless. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I do for a living. What did I do before before I discovered MMT? I have a finance background. Um, I've worked in banks. Um, I understand accounting pretty well. I've got qualifications in accounting um, as well as computer science. And yeah, um, pretty standard standard stuff. I have a, a sort of an odd career um, in that I kind of like to do different things. Um, and one of the things that I do in terms of um, uh, in terms of what I do do in systems work is I like to actually get down and do the do the actual work because I, th- I always feel that to be able to understand how things operate you've actually got to get your hands dirty okay. um, so I've done bank clerking I've uh, I've run accounting departments I've run multi-million pound property portfolios hmm. I've even managed to uh, to uh, run a uh, a legal case against the uh, the inland revenue which is the um, uh, the IRS of the UK uh, which I did 20 odd years ago so I essentially sued them under European law on behalf of 10,000 people. That was a fascinating experience, and that opened wow. my eyes to government. That really opened my eyes to government because I actually got in there and I got to see how they actually operated rather than how they, they said they operated. And the axis of my thinking sort of changed from that. Um, so the early 2000s, that was prior to, 90, prior to 2000, before I, before I did that particular job, um, my, you would probably call my, my, my views fairly standard in terms of the way that I think thought business operated. After two thousands and seeing how government operated, my view shifted, and then the financial. Are you fairly standard? Meaning you just believe kind of all the the false oh, yeah, narratives. Oh the usual, the usual nonsense about businesses. You know, um, 
about the market sorting it all out and, and all that. Okay, okay. Yeah, idiotic nonsense. That's what you know, the, the idiocy of youth um, <laughs> was that. Um, and then in the 2000s, obviously, having, having done the, uh, having been inside government and seeing how they actually operated. Yeah, the one thing about Whitehall, which of course is the, is the UK's um, sort of like Washington DC, if you like. What, is what, that a white hall? White, white hall. hall, it's called. It's where all the where the government operation actually runs. Okay. Is that they're, they're they're remarkable. You can go in there and you can talk to them, and they can ignore you in the most politest way possible. <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating. You sit there and you talk to them, and they ignore you really politely. They offer you fantastic tea, superb bis- biscuits, <laughs> and, and they uh, uh, and they'll sit down there and they'll listen to you all day and completely ignore every word that you said. But you, wow. you'll come out thinking that you've had a really good time. Sounds like it's, my representative. Yeah, they're absolutely brilliant at it. It's, it's, it's one of my abiding memories of that. That and the fact that when I went in there, they opened my file with all, <laughs> all the stuff <laughs> in front of me mm. <laughs> to say, yes, you do have a file in government. It's like, yes, so I am yeah. I am the person with a file in Whitehall. So uh, that's, uh, that's the way that it goes. Okay. Um, so, yes, uh, global financial crisis collapsed, came in and collapsed, and uh, everything fell apart, as we know. And I sat down there and I thought to myself, something's not right here. This isn't, this isn't correct. There's something I'm missing. Hmm. And that's when I started to dig into, uh, into things. And after a while, and after reading around and looking at stuff, and, and obviously as a, as a systems person, I'm always looking for feedback loops and, uh, and, and harmonics and, and, and issues with things that, that cause uh, events to happen that shouldn't have happened. Eventually, I, uh, I stumbled across MMT. And I stumbled across MMT via Bill Mitchell's blog, I and it's that. just just over ten years now since I uh, I first commented on that. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, so before we get into MMT, um, uh, a couple questions about what what you had just said. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, uh, can you tell the story of your suing the IRS for ten thousand people? Oh, can I tell the story of that? Yeah. How did I get into that? Okay. So, uh, a 19... Uh, what's it called in your... Uh, I, I, what's called IRS here? What's it called? There? Yeah, it's called... It, it, it was at the time called the Inland Revenue. It's called Her Majesty's, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs now. Nah, um, but it's the, same, it's the same thing. But yeah, back in 19... What would it be now? 1999, a mm. piece of tax legislation was passed in the United Kingdom by the Labour government. Yes, those... Um, which uh, treats self-employed contractors as though they were employed, but only for tax purposes. So they pay the tax as though they were an employee, but they're not an employee for employment law purposes. Now, that's first thing right. comes to mind is Uber. Yes, yes, exactly like that. So basically, um, in, in the UK, Uber can treat people, or they could at the time, the Uber, can, Uber can treat people uh, like an employee, and they can do what they like with them, including sack them whenever they feel like it. And and there's nothing that the individual could do about it from an employment law point of view. You're not allowed to do that in the UK if you're an actual employee. Either you have you know redundancy rights and uh, and union rights and 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 the right to you know to to not to be made redundant. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were getting it. They were avoiding that. And the flip side of that during the during the 90s was well that's fine, but you get a slightly lower tax rate. And so the Labour government removed the tax rate without removing the, quote, flexibility on the employer's side. So the large employers were able to hire and fire at will. And uh, the, uh, the employee um, still had to pay full whack. And uh, I didn't consider that to be a, to be a fair 
a fair tax measure. So I joined uh, forces with uh, uh, with a bunch of people, and it ended up being about ten thousand, ten thousand wow. of us, and we uh, and we took. We took the government to court, which we were able to do at the time, of course, because we'd just become part of the uh, European Union, and therefore we could use European law to override uh, to override UK law. Um, and of course, we can't do that now because of Brexit. Uh, Brexit, of course, re- replaces re- removes the superiority of European law and replaces it with good old UK law. Mm-hmm. And so we've now gone back to the position prior to us joining the European Union, where whatever Parliament says is what goes. Um, which actually, from my perspective, is actually the, the correct way of doing it. So mm-hmm. yes, I, I, one of the great beauties of the uh, of the Brexit debate is that I'd actually seen it from the other side. I knew about European law and how it can be used to actually override the will of Parliament. I'm most certainly not in favour of being able to override the democratic choice of the people. It's something that I uh, I don't think you should be able to do. But your um, lawsuit effectively did that, and then it yeah, was undone but, at Brexit. Yeah, that the, the, a, a lawsuit could override. In, in in the European Union, you can use the law to override what the what a country's democratic parliament has uh, has chosen if it um, violates some of the um, some of the uh, treaty agreements that are in the in the European treaty. So the classic one in this case was state aid, which is that if you put the tax rates up on a on a set of individuals and you don't put them up on, on other businesses of the same type, then you're giving a, an aid to those other businesses, and that's con- that could be contrary to European law. And so we fought this case and uh, uh, in, the, in the courts and across government, and uh, it, a lot of that was all about going into government and talking to them and trying to reason with them and, and all the rest of it, because fundamentally, you know, the, the, the way that they should have fixed it was, was very simple, is that anybody who, who appears to be an employee should be an employee. And if you do that, then the tax follows. It should have done it that way around, rather than, rather than doing it uh, as they did, which is to tax people as though they were employees without them ever becoming employees. Okay. Um, they wouldn't see sense, labor, that Labour government being as it was. And that particular piece of legislation continues to this day and it's still causing problems um now so you so so you okay two two questions one is uh it seems like you won and the eu law overrode but then when brexit happened that eu law was repealed no, no, not it, repealed but stuck. no it, it, it was the it was the other way around the uh that the judge found in in favor of the government as you would expect oh. and uh oh. um yeah but we we kind of lost and we kind of won in the fact that we defanged it there were workarounds for it, and it, it's still a mess today. And we still have this situation in the UK, this unfair situation, where people can be treated as an employee for tax purposes, but not an employee for employment purposes. And it's completely oh. wrong, completely wrong. Wow. Okay. And uh, and when you first said this, I got the impression that you kind of led this effort. Is that- yes. Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I led the. Uh, I led the case. There was I was the legal director. I was the director of the organisation who uh, who ran the court case. And that was and my uh, that was my job for two years. Did you? I'm surprised. Did you have any legal training? Like, did you? Were you intimidated by like handling a massive legal course, a, no, a legal no. case? You know, without having the tra- <laughs> training. No, no, I mean, that's no, kind it's kind of a. It's kind of a. <laughs> no, not at all. It's. Uh, um, I, again, as I say, the, the, the job that I do is uh, gets me into all sorts of uh, sticky situations. So I'd already uh, I'd already done two years at a, a firm of solicitors, so I knew how, how, how the legal system, how the legal how, how lawyers operate, if you see what I mean. 
I obviously have uh, accountancy training, so I knew how the accounting system works. I was very good at I'm very good at pensions and uh, and tax rates and things along those sort of lines. Unusually so, but that's just you know uh, I'm good at that sort of stuff and good at finance. So uh, as I say, I probably mentioned this before is that I'm one of those unusual people who came out of university in profit. So it's uh, um, it's one of those. <laughs> One of those little tricks I can do. Wow. Um, okay. Kind of, kind of like, <laughs> kind of like in this market, we got a good house. So uh, yeah, that's I, it. So it's <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's but it, it it comes back to the to the MMT issue that people tend to believe things that they are told, and that isn't actually how it works. So once yeah. you actually understand how it works, you can get around the side, and you can um, uh, and you can do things that other people seem to consider to be impossible. Um, like, for example, coming out of university in profit. And that's actually one of the that, – that's how I knew and understood how banks create money, um, yes. is that when I was at university, what I used to do, obviously, time's cheap at university. You can spend a lot of time. And at that particular point in time, because it was during the ERM crisis in, in the UK in 1990, the early 1990s, 1991, 1992. So you write checks between two accounts. And at that time, they paid interest on unclear checks. So I could write very large checks between two accounts. And then three days later, they were clear. And I would get interest on the increased balance. So I'd actually huh. created money and was able to get paid. I was able to be paid interest on money that I had created. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to do that on a, on a fairly regular basis and, and, and generate a little bit of, an, a, little bit of a, a sort of a side income just by writing a few pieces of paper <laughs> between two <laughs> bank accounts. <laughs> okay, get a coffee so, machine. <laughs> well, yeah, it, yeah, so I, you know, I, I, used the, uh, I used, co-opted the printing machine for my own, uh, for my own benefit. Wow. So again, once I come across MMT and they explain how all this works, oh yeah, yeah, I did that at university twenty years mm. ago. <laughs> I have a vague memory of your conversation with Phil. Yeah, now yeah. I think you told something about that story. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's another one of my uh, my little uh, party conversations. <laughs> um, okay, uh, so so another uh, unrelated question, but with something you said before. Uh, this is this is I see that this question. The, the answer to this question as, is going to be a parallel to your views uh, that you express for, in relation to your paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, you said basically you go into, you did or whatever, you go into companies and you, regarding their computer systems and you say why it's uh, satire basically. Yeah. And then you, then you say, well, this is how it should be. And if you really want to, you know, not be satire and, you know, you reorganize it and you make it what it should be. And, you know, that's, you said something essentially to that effect with, yeah. uh, with the UK exchequer, which is just like, you know, it's paint on top of paint on top of paint on top of paint and so on. Yeah. And there's like 3000, 3000 years worth of layers of paint on top of each other. And yeah, it's not just quite that be- long. 800, but it's not, it's, it's still quite a long time. 800, 800. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where I got 3000 in my head. <laughs> so about, about the, uh, yeah, about the 1200s, the beginning of the 13th century, I think when it, when it kicked up. Okay. So, so four times older than, than <laughs> um, but still, so the concept of, you know, paint on top of a paint on top of paint. And I think that that's, I think, I think it's accurate to say that the UK economic system is a lot more complicated than the US simply because of a matter of age. Yeah. Like the US is complicated and very difficult, but it's only 200 years old. And Stephanie Kelton's paper, Ken Taxes and Bond, Ken Taxes and Bond Sales Finance Government Spending, is a difficult paper, especially at the stage that I wrote it, but it's a lot smaller than yours. Yes. And, and yeah, yeah. so I think that that's kind of a reflection of just the age of 
your country that the paint on top of a paint that just made it a lot more complicated. So, so, so can you, can you give us a story of going into a company, finding it as satirical and, you know, kind of what it took to, to make it not satirical. And then we can use that kind of as a parallel to. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a difficult one. Um, so I think what the and actually, actually, be, uh, before, <laughs> actually, before before you go into this, I just want to give you a little mm. bit of context. Uh, I am uh, a former computer programmer. I, yeah. I, I I worked for five years as a computer programmer. I did basically Java server side uh, mm-hmm. database programming, and I uh, and towards the end I did uh, automated testing and so on. So anyway, just just sharing that. Yeah, go ahead. I mean the 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 classic example that that I tend to use is when you. Um, when I worked, I've worked at what lots of various different operations, but one of them in particular was when you're dealing with local authorities, which are the sort of local councils. Um, you would call them states, I suppose, in in in, uh, in US terms. They're a bit quite a lot smaller than your states, obviously, uh, more like counties, but they they, they uh-huh. run with their own um, locally elected representatives, and they uh, and they're able to raise their own taxes. Okay, and what it was one of those strange meetings when you go into a meeting and you sit down with people and you uh, and 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 they they were absolutely convinced that the private sector could somehow magic money out of nowhere and that they could make things um, happen using far less money than they could do internally within the local authority and they got themselves convinced about this and it was really really difficult to to try and explain to them that the only way that they could actually save any money, and the, and the reason why we had eight of them in the room, was if all eight of them used exactly the same system, and they all basically time shared on it. So they only they, they they used a they used a bit of it, and they all used exactly the same procedures, and then you would be able to get economies of scale. And they really struggled to get their head around uh, this concept of economies of scale. They thought there was some mysterious magic in outsourcing that would that would sort it out, out all out and it's like no it's just you, uh, you we get to sell the same thing to eight people rather than rather than a different one to 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 each of you and the problem that we had with all eight of those people was that they um they wanted their own thing they wouldn't come to a to a common standard and uh that was one of those um, situations where we spent ages and ages and ages writing reports and discussing things with them and eventually the uh eventually that particular project fell apart and it mm. fell apart because the uh, the local authorities wouldn't compromise and mm. they wouldn't understand that the only way that they could actually genuinely save any money was to uh, was to come to a common standard and and get some some economies of scale on the systems these these companies and i guess this government they chose to bring you in to be scrutinized right yeah 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 so they chose to hear that they're satirical, but did they, did they, how, how many of these companies or governments like really accepted your, did they give you power to actually make change or did they actually accept, how much do they accept your recommendations? They, or they, they, your they just didn't at the end of the day. You, 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 it was. So they was, wanted, they wanted the, like the Apple support, which is what you, like you mentioned, you went in and they, yeah. they made you feel good, but they didn't do anything. So it's like calling Apple support. They, they like really identify with you and, and, they make <laughs> you, and they tell you how important your problem is. And then, but nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the situation that we're in was, yeah, what they wanted is they wanted a, uh, they wanted a gold plated service, but they only wanted to play, only want to play, pay silver. 
Um, that's what they wanted. And they thought, they were absolutely convinced that because they were bringing in the magical private sector, you know, we've all heard about how the, how the magical private sector can sort things out in, in public authorities because public authorities are terrible and slow and inefficient and can't do anything. And they were absolutely convinced that there was some magic there. And they didn't would not accept that the magic was, no, it's just economies of scale. You need to all agree a set standard amongst all eight of you. And then we will provide you with a system that all eight of you use. And, that will, and then we can share the costs amongst you. And that's how we get the cost down. Okay. Um, they, they thought there was some other magic that we weren't, that we are, oh, you're hiding it. You're just doing that for your own profit purposes. And off, and off we went down that road, you see. So it was, it was, it was the way that they couldn't see it. They couldn't see what the private sector actually was, but had this fantasy about the what the private sector was, mm-hmm. and I couldn't. You just couldn't shake it, and that again um, comes back to this uh, this MMT the MMT issue that we're constantly running up against, where you go up to somebody and you say you do realise that uh, that government doesn't have any financial restrictions, don't you? And that actually, what we have is real restrictions, and we need to start thinking about things in real terms rather than in money terms and then within seconds they're back to talking about you know we need we need an extra 30 million on corporation tax so we can afford to mm. buy some nurses mm. uh, and you you know the 30 million is not going to not going to do you any good and there aren't any nurses so yeah. it's you, you you feel as though i feel as though i'm having that same conversation again but this time with um uh, with political types rather than local authority types mm. Is there is there one of these uh, situations where they called you in and you actually did like they actually did, you know, make a real difference um, or, with based on your feedback? Yeah, I mean, there's been times when I've gone in and I've made recommendations, but it's it's, it's often small stuff. I mean, I've gone in and, and said, okay, we need to we need to change the network structure and we need to do it along this lines because in in one case. To use a boring technical term, we want to we want to make it a rooted network rather than a flat network. And uh, they oh. went, "Oh yeah, that's a that's a that's a good idea because that'll um, that'll stop us having broadcast storms." And that got in, um, and that's uh, that was a that was a a, a good victory, um, and it uh, it made the uh, the system very stable, and we were able to do it very very cheaply. Mm-hmm. The the best one is actually not my story, but somebody else's story where. And it's uh, it's it's to do with our national health service, um, and it's to do with the, uh, the during the, the last Labour government they came up with this ridiculous outsourcing scheme the what, within the, the NHS. What Labour, oh, what's the, what's the name? The the Labour government, the last Labour government in last, the middle of last. I just okay. Yeah. I know it's a long time ago. We've forgotten ta- we've forgotten <laughs> what one sounds like, but um, so it was in the middle of the two thousands. I think it was when they introduced this ridiculous scheme to outsource the National Health Services IT provision. Uh, the left that. government. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's worse than it's worse than that. I promise you. Honestly, the the, the war stories are uh, are endless. Uh, and I was kind of involved on the periphery of that. Uh, I did a I did a little bit of bidding, but they they, they wanted. It was it, it was very similar to the public authority story that I, I told you uh, just a, just a few moments ago, where mm-hmm. they were convinced that the private sector could magic this thing out of nothing, and most people walked away from that from those schemes. Well, obviously, some firms didn't because they thought they could lead them down the garden path, and that lent that led to um, the construction of what's known uh, known as the spine, which is a big network that runs across the whole country that holds the NHS together. Mm. And it was ridiculously expensive because it was done in outsourced in an outsourced format. And <laughs> once the Labour government had been ejected and we got a Conservative government in, um, then uh, the NHS authorities 
in the NHS digital area. Um, they got together 20 good guys, 20 good guys, um, and they were insourced into the NHS. They were actually NHS um, staff. Um, and they got together and they said, we, can, we need to cut the cost of this spine. And so they spent um, a good few months constructing and building internally within the NHS, within a public authority, um, the structures of a, of a new spine. And they ported everybody across to this new spine and they uh, shifted all the systems across to the new spine and they sacked off the old ridiculous and expensive supplier uh, and saved the country tens and tens and tens of millions of pounds. Well, wait, um, okay, well, what does that mean, save the country? I guess individuals... Yes, it's right. it saved the budget of the NHS uh, a, considerable amount of, a considerable amount of money and obviously we weren't paying out to, to, to outsourcers so the, the, the money could have been was rather than it going to the to the private sector was retained within the NHS, wow. within their within their budget, and they moved it all across, and nobody noticed because it, it was seamless. It was done across a, a bank holiday weekend during nobody, a conservative government. During a conservative government, nobody knows about, or very few people know about it. I know about it, and the people in the NHS know about it. And these twenty guys were absolutely epic, really, really epic, and they were retained directly by the National Health Service to do that particular job, and they saved the country a fortune. And it runs far smoother with far less far less issues than what it did previously. Going through how, how did operation. a conservative government allow this to happen? Yeah, well, I, I don't think they. I think it's one of those things where they just said save some money, so they okay. Well, this is how you could save some money, and they were able to just do the <laughs> do the do the job, uh, which actually did, did improve it. But it's that thing again: is that if you get a really good team together and you just let them get on with it, um, and you don't get all this ridiculous outsourcing and salesmen in the way, then you can actually uh, you can actually deliver, and you can do that within public authorities. You don't need to bring in the, the quotes magic of the private sector because engineers know the magic of the private sector doesn't exist it's just straightforward economies of scale game okay two things and then then we'll move on one is can you define economies of scale and number yes, two can yeah, you define yeah. can you clarify what you mean by the country saves a lot of money yeah by replacing the spine yeah so economies of scale is is uh, it's, it's fairly straightforward you 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 have a piece of machinery and that piece of machinery costs x hundred thousand dollars less for sake of argument and the more that you use it the uh, the cheaper every unit um, that comes out of that machine costs so if you do a hundred on it then you divide a hundred into a hundred thousand and if you do a thousand on it you divide a thousand into into a hundred thousand into a hundred thousand and so the more you can get out of a machine the uh, the cheaper then the cheaper the cost allocation to each of those units is and that's what economies of scale is so if you can uh, if you can get eight councils to operate on one machine they will uh, and do all their stuff on there then they will um, they will be able to get more done on less machinery and that'll cost them less in the in the long run and then obviously with the nhs itself when they're saying that they're saving money we've got to remember we're still operating within government departments that are operating within budgets so they've okay. got a budget to spend on you know x number of hundred million quid on on um, on network services for the uh, for the nhs and so at that point in time when we're talking about saving money we're talking about saving money on budgets so we're, we're talking about reducing the amount of resources that are uh, that are used actual real resources that are used to run the uh, to run the the NHS's um, spine system so they didn't need as many people uh, supporting it they didn't need as much equipment involved with it it could be done a lot better and a lot cleaner with less interruptions and obviously interruptions are a big deal when you're dealing with uh, 
the the actual scarce resource in a medical system, which is doctors, nurses, and other medical staff. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, what you said regarding economies of scale mm-hmm. uh, reminds me of the neoclassical concept of marginal product mm-hmm. of whatever. Yeah. I don't totally understand it, so I maybe it's going to be completely off. But but can you do you understand the difference? Can you clarify the difference yeah, between those two yeah. things? Yeah, I mean, um, economies of scale is an accounting term. And it's a straightforward accounting term, which is that the more you use a machine, the um, the better value you get out of it. And obviously, the marginal product gain is uh, is when econ- economists take that, misconstrue it, and uh, and bolt it into their their own ideas, so that they uh, they then they then start talking about if you add a a worker to a a production system and you pay them a certain amount of money um, and they're operating at the margins and you will get a certain amount of output from them. And there's this idea that there's a decreasing amount of output that you get as you add more and more workers to a to a system, which is true to a certain extent. But then they try and aggregate that up as though it's the, uh, as though it's the, the entire, entire economy and get themselves completely confused. Oh. Um, it's, so, it's it, not- so, it, so the marginal product is a reasonable concept somewhat at a micro scale yes but but the error is to pretend that marginal product works at a macro scale yeah it's it, it's it's the usual thing of of um usual thing that they do which is take something that might work in in a, in a single firm or a single operation or might be sense a sensible idea within a, a limited scope and then to try and, and to try and blow it up to the aggregate um and then they change it a bit and it's the, the, the what i find with the mainstream is they use this trickery it's like the household analogy which is this idea of of it's it's the story that matters and the household analogy is something that you can hook into people's mind and people understand it. Marginal product is another one of these things that people you know so almost instinctively understand. You know that you can you can rev a, you can rev the engine of a car, but if you go from you know ten thousand revs to twelve thousand revs, is 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 you get more oomph out of that than if you go from twelve thousand to fourteen thousand. And it, it, people people get their heads around that. Um, and so they can run with those stories and run and uh, drive drive the politics through those stories without them necessarily being true. Um, okay, well, I think this is probably going to be a little bit of a weak question, but it's the best I got, and I'm curious. I'm <laughs> curious. It, it's as close as I can get, and that yeah. is economies of scale, if that's the right term. Uh, that's kind of. I mean, you said economies of scale, NHS took this concept and really did do a very good thing and, mm-hmm. and saved a lot of money, you know, to maximize their budget, which is kind of macro. So how is that different than how the bad way of neoclassical taking a mic, the micro concept of marginal product and bringing that up to macro, which is not definitely not good. Yeah. Well, the, the NHS, even despite the fact that the NHS is very, very large, is still not macro. It's still a micro. It's mm. not the entire world. It's, uh, it's not mm. the entire okay. Current, well, you said, sterling you said, currency area. You said that it saves the government money, but you're really referring to just the NHS. I'm just referring yeah. to the NHS. It doesn't save the government money because you can't save the government money, but it can save the NHS money because the NHS is still a currency user okay. within the within the system, within the budgeting system. Okay. Um, you know, that there there is still a resource. Resources have to be allocated to the NHS or they have to be allocated to schools. So they're the the individual government departments are currency users, but the the government as a whole is a is obviously a currency issuer and and is not constrained financially. Okay, all right, all right, that's clear. Um, all right, well, let's switch subjects, and uh, I would actually like to talk a little bit about 
uh, Reddit. Oh, Reddit. Um, Good old Reddit. You, you are, uh, I believe that that's the only major social media platform you're active on. Yes, um, yeah. And you're very active on it. Am and, I? All right. Definitely stop doing that then. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I, I consistently see you in there. I'm, I know you consistently see me. I'm not nearly as active, but you consistently see me. Yeah. Um, it's a unique place. Yes. It's very, it's very unique compared to Facebook and Twitter, which is the other two places that I'm, I'm much more active on. Yeah. Um, Reddit is pretty unique, uh, but you've been on there for a long time. Um, like it is, it's on, on Facebook in particular, they're basically, uh, they're basically, what do you call it? When there's just groups, uh, echo chambers, yes. you know, echo chambers. And it's, 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 you know, it's very good in certain ways. You get to ask people questions and get real good answers, but you know, to a certain extent, you're just basically talking to the choir. And then on, on Twitter, there's kind of a, a mix where, you know, there's, there's a definite MMT community, but, but there's also people can interject from the outside and you get, you know, dissension of, of people that definitely don't agree with MMT and whatever. And you mm-hmm. can get into but Reddit is kind of different. Reddit is like the group on Reddit. I mean, uh, the MMT, uh, what's it called? I guess MMT, uh, MMT underscore, yeah. Ec- MMT yeah. underscore economics. Yeah. You know, it's not huge. It's not, it's not very big, uh, but um, sometimes you get these posts, like a recent post by you said, you said uh, you've already won the tin hat. Please mail in so you can redeem it. You've already won. You can stop now. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I looked through this, I looked through that particular person's history and I posted, I don't know if you saw this, but I yeah. posted a list of their, of a sampling. I know. Of it, their was, it was delightful, delightful. Oh, was shocking, top, wasn't it? Absolutely shocking. Their delightful <laughs> posts on just virulent racism and, uh, and anti-Semitism. And, anti-Semitism and, uh, and just, just really, really. And yeah. I, I'm actually shocked that he didn't respond. Yes. Very surprised that he didn't respond. So either he's just too busy or he's like, realizes that you know he doesn't have a case or he's a super uh, troll and he's just one of you he was just going around trying to get a rise out of people one of those. Um, yeah so so you know people like that kind of seem to s- consistently come in not a lot not mm. tons it doesn't i don't think it pollutes the group to a fatal degree by any means but definitely like you get some of the kind of stuff like people just not mmt just come in and whatever and i, I guess reddit kind of shows it to them or whatever so yeah. anyway I, I i wanted to ask you of your experience on reddit um, your kind, of, your kind of observations on it. Um, I looked through some of your history, but read it on my phone didn't let me go too far back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, can can you? I don't know. Just can you? Can you talk about your experience on Reddit uh, as an MMTer? And um, I don't know. Just just take that as you will. Yeah, I mean, I, it's Reddit's kind of where I've I've, I've sort of ended up. Um, just as a, just because it's it's somewhere where I could post um, what I write occasionally, uh, occasionally what I video. Um, because it's supposed to be that's where it's supposed to be. The, the, the clue is in the name, it's called Reddit. It's supposed to be some a list of things for people to read. Um, so the, the actual commenting is is just what I do because I'm I'm a terrible commenter. I just I just like commenting on forums and blogs. I've been commenting on forums and blogs and and uh and various uh internet things since about 1988. So it's been it's been mm. a long time. So you know, mm. I've, I've uh and I've always been the one that uh that goes in there trying to uh trying to assist spent mm. a lot of time commenting um on the guardian comments is free in the uk um some some time ago when around the the, the financial crisis 
and was able to guide quite a few people there across onto onto the NMT side before that deteriorated misunder- in the same way. I misunderstood what you said. You said the Guardian comments were free. Yeah, it's called the Guardian's comment section. is called comment is free. Oh. It's, it's a uh, that's it's called SIF. That's it's that's it. It, it becomes it shortens to SIF, but it actually stands for comment. Comment is free, which is which is to do with the uh, I forget the exact quote that that the Guardian use users, but it's uh, it's a uh, something that they're one of their f- their founding editors said I think, um, and uh, so yeah it it and it was a lot better back in the day and of course like all electronic forums the the trolls turn up and they uh, and they drive out anybody with a with a um a centrist or a or a or a or a reasonable view and then the extremists step in and destroy it all and then you have to move on it's 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 been the case with every single comment and um and discussion group i've ever been in over 30 30 odd years now um, it's it's just what happens to them. They nearly always deteriorate and and get filled full of intolerable people, and you have to move on and find a new one. Twitter's been the classic case in point, which has been completely destroyed really over the last five or six years. Hmm. But I mean, but that's unmoderated. Reddit is different because it's at least it has yeah, potential but, for moderation. Yeah, moderate moderators are you know moderators are human beings too, so they they operate within their own um within their own sphere. So you you know once a moderator gets in who's got a particular particular viewpoint then they can they can destroy the common area as well. That hasn't happened on Reddit yet, which I'm very grateful of, largely because it's it's, it's very much a backwater and there's not too many people there, so you can have reasonable discussions with reasonable people um, for a uh, and hopefully that will continue for a uh, for a good while longer. But yeah, I mean, I, I like answering questions. I've always, if people have got genuine questions and they want to know more, I will always do my best to help. I've uh, I've always enjoyed doing that. I've done for for years, and I always get very sad when an area gets uh, becomes toxified and you can't do that anymore. Me, you know, I, me and you should me and you should get in as moderators. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps we should. And then perhaps would, we can keep you, it there. Would you consider? Would you consider? We'll give it I'll a try. Do it. Yeah, I'm very happily moderate. So, okay. all right. So, so how about how about I will? I mean, I, Nathan Tenkis is a moderator. I can't imagine he's active. No, he's not. No. But but uh, maybe we could uh, jointly say that that the two of us would like to come in. I mean, we clearly have a, a, a history, and we will. I will go in and I will say Neil and I would like to jointly moderate this group. Would you Would you please consider allowing us? Yeah. Yeah, cool. I think be good. yeah, I'd be good with that. I'm All very right. much good with that because then we can try and keep it on the straight and narrow. Yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, yeah, I'm not no more anti Semites in there. Thank, thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> wow, that was like, I mean, I mean, his post didn't really. His post, he had like two posts, I think. Yeah, and he, you know, he was like complete jerk, but he yeah. didn't have anything hinting of that. <laughs> it was really kind of surprising because I think you, I think your your comment of the tinfoil hat is what inspired me to look through his history. Yeah, and I was like, whoa, oh my gosh. Yeah. So oh, I was um, just yeah. That's uh, those sort of people are not the ones that want to be wasting his time with. We want to be, uh, and and also it's the same on the other side. I mean, you when you get people on that are absolutely convinced about. That we get, we get a, there's a UBI, lots of UBI trolls on, on Reddit who are coming in and uh, and and uh, trying to co-opt MMT into their particular way of operating, and um, you know that they're they're just as bad on the uh, on the other side, and they won't listen to reason either. It's it's so it's like if you want to come in the MMT groups because you want to understand about how we see things, not the other way around. Otherwise, I'll go to your group and ask you. Mm-hmm. 
Are you familiar with R economics? What the US economics? R economics. Uh, the Reddit economics. All oh, right. The neoclassical no. economics. Sorry. Um, the um, ask economic. Uh, the ask economics oh, is, one. Oh, is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. R ask economics. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that Are one where the, the, the yeah, it's basically uh, if it isn't an absolutely bang on mainstream answer, forget it. Is the but, uh, but even <laughs> okay? All right. I'm not gonna go too. I'm not gonna go crazy here, but. <laughs> They ask, they're starting to ask MMT questions and they yeah. still, they still, they still completely block out any non-mainstream answers. Yes. That is yeah. un, pretty unreal. That well, I've had that pretty... discussion with them, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was, was it Bain? Bain something or other? I don't where, know. Where, where he said, you know, that there's, there's no testable mechanism within MMT. I said, yes, there is. Just offer everybody a job and see who turns up. And according to your theory, nobody should. So you know that's it's dead simple. If uh, if if interest rates equilibrate so that the people who are currently on the unemployment queue are actually genuinely quotes enjoying leisure, then they won't turn up when you offer them a ten quid an hour job or a fifteen dollar an hour job, and uh, that'll prove the point one way or the other, won't it? And uh, uh, no, no and change. Where did you so, have this conversation in private it, message or? No, it was in. Uh, I think it was in one of the Ask Economics or one of the economics blogs with him. I'm shocked they let you in. Yeah, I, I think they may have tightened up after that. So, so for <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, so for listeners, so so for listeners to understand, so there's Ask yeah. our Economics, a Reddit group called Ask Economics, and they they don't just, I mean, okay, so social media, the spirit of social media is you go in and you say what you want to say, and then people trash you and they downvote you, and that's you know that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Not ask, not ask economics. What they do is they suppress your question for your comment from ever appearing, yeah. ever. But you don't know it. You actually have to log in as someone else to then go to that. Because when, you, when you're logged in as yourself and you go to the question, you see your comment. You just yeah. don't see any upvotes. You don't see any replies. But then when you log in as somebody else and you go to that same post, your comment is not there at all. Yeah. It's very much so like they, the economic journals if you think about it, isn't it? It's know? the whole yeah, it's the whole <laughs> it's the whole thing. But but and that's you know, whatever, you know, that's terrible. Yeah. It is. But what's particularly egregious is when they discuss MMT and they still do that same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean if you're gonna dis- right. Yeah, so it's like it's deliberate. It's it's just a deliberate mechanism by which they can only get their side of the story out and refuse to actually have the, the counter argument published in an attempt to try and discredit it of course it doesn't work because people go well there's nobody there's nobody's actually come back to this and then they go and find go around the side and and they find mmt economics or they find somewhere else and they discover it themselves if they're interested mm. so it's a question of whether you want to sit there and listen to the priests um spouting from their particular pulpit so whether you want to go out there and actually ask whether the religion is uh, is actually correct or not yeah so I mean, you saw that I. I mean, this is kind of this is just a brief aside, but you saw you saw that I created Open Economics. Yeah. Cre- I didn't create it. I didn't create it, but I pro- I became an administrator, yeah. a moderator of it, and I proposed to the existing moderator, and he liked the idea yeah. of where Ask Economic or where Open Economics, our Open Economics, has become, you know, to some extent. I don't. I don't. I'm not active enough to make it great, but where you take Ask Economic questions, you re repost them in open economics and then you provide real answers yes and so i mean you know it's kind of it hasn't been a a, a smashing success by any means but i I think it's kind of a cute idea um well certainly if anything comes up on the nmt side if you if you uh, if you spot one and you post it across there then you know either me or you will probably pop in and and actually try and and quite a few of the other guys as well probably pop in there and actually give a proper answer to it right right um yeah okay cool uh all right all right, so uh, I have a 
I, I was reading some of your blogs, uh, and I'm actually I'm curious: is New Wayland? Does that imply that there used to be? I mean, it only goes back to what two. 2015 or something. Mm-hmm. So I assume that new Wayland means implies that you had an old blog, which I did not see. Yes, so. yes, yes. There's, there's a history there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you're not going on, so <laughs> so um, I guess I won't push that. Um, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a uh, there's a um, it's a it's a play on several words. I mean, you know, the the NW is Neil Wilson, so that, that's why it's there. That it's new way, as in a new way of doing things. You know, it's a it was it's a concept. It's a play on New Zealand, um, in terms of a country that operates in as its own currency area that can operate as a, using a uh, uh, using a completely different currency. So it, there's lots of different ideas all all in that particular. Okay. concept that i had in mind it's, it's the, the way that i do it is i always see i always see new wayland as being what the uk would be like if it was running under mmt huh. and that's actually the, uh, the the mechanism that I, i'm able to use is that and i obviously have a discord server that's called new wayland as well which is where i tend to hang out if anybody wants to come and talk to me that's where you can find me hmm. um so if you go on discord and and, uh, and and dive on that which you can link off off my blog i think i've put the uh, the join codes in in there um, then the, the general forum within the uh, within the Discord server is always there if you want to come and actually directly ask me any questions or anything. I just hang in there, and I I have I post policies up on there, which would be the policies that I would put in place if I was Chancellor of the Exchequer. And hmm. um, so you know, if we did it this way, then that would sort it out. So you know, if we put a job guarantee good, in, we would sort good, talk this out. You know. Do you have good conversations on Discord? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, there's short ones. Um, there's not a lot of people on there, but yeah, we uh, we have a, a growing number of people popping in mm-hmm. and asking questions. Which okay. is, I've uh, never really, good. I mean, I never really give Discord a try. I, I believe it's just basically kind of another kind of a Reddit-ish just conversation place. I believe. The main reason that I I in is, is because that's where young people hang out and MMT needs to be involved with young people because that's mm. where it, that's where the future is. They need to know about it. Um, they need to um, they need to get hold of it and they need to run with it and they need to insist that their politicians implement the uh, the recommendations that MMT puts forward um, and then they need to tell the politicians particularly that they don't believe any of the nonsense that's uh, that's put out there. It's okay. very very important that we capture the young and we get them on side. That's why I, I operate on Discord. You know, talk to young mm-hmm. people; they're, they're very comfortable with Discord. Hmm. And how do they, they how do they stumble upon you beyond the link in your blog? Well, yeah, then that's it's largely the link in the blog, and you know, occasionally I pop it up in in, in somewhere else. But yeah, it's a it's a work in progress. It's okay. it's something that uh, I uh, I put out there, and uh, eventually somebody will find you. There is a another Discord server called MM Teens, which is uh, basically a young a bunch of young people who are already into MMT, hmm. and that's a Discord server as well. And hmm. uh, you know, it's it's good to watch them and see how they. They interact with each other, and so we can actually tailor our message towards what we, what they need. What's the name of that one again? MM Teens. Teens. Yeah. Oh, I've just seen that mentioned. Uh, yeah, Steve Keen just Steve spoke. Keen did a did a uh, um, Steve Keen did a uh, a, a video with them just a huh. few few days, few weeks ago, and yeah, that's uh, the first they time have I... a Discord service. Yeah. Huh, okay. Okay. Um, okay. So I read. I read some of your blogs and uh i have some questions and we can get into what, what i'd like to close with you'll just give a summary of your paper i have a question about your paper yeah uh the summary that you give will be immediately before the joint interview All so right. rich richard will be first then andy and then you and then the joint interview so you'll kind of lead into that yeah. um 
the first, the most recent blog post that you wrote is regarding too much money chasing too few goods. Yeah. And uh, you basically say that that's wrong. And I'm, I'm going to try and say it from my point of view first, and then mm-hmm. you'll tell me. Too much money chasing too few goods is wrong, you say. Yeah. And basically, it's too, it's too simplistic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to cause inflation. And too much money chasing too few goods is, is, mis- is very misleading as best as I can kind of understand yeah. it. It's more demand for products can be inflationary, can cause prices to go up. And also demand, and that demand is At the very beginning of today's episode, I tell Neil that my wife and I are under contract to purchase our first home. As I write these words, it was inspected two days ago. Yesterday, we submitted our rather modest list of repair requests and are now waiting for the seller's response. This is the final major hurdle before the likeliness of the home becoming our own gets pretty close to 100%. I tell Neil that the home is enormous. 
at least to me it is. The backyard is about the size of half a football field, and the house itself is 700 square feet larger than our current rental, 1,900 versus 1,200 square feet. There are a whole lot of critical small to moderate things it needs, but structurally, the home and all its major systems are in great shape. So although the first several years will be a very expensive struggle, overall, we now have a mortgage that's $400 cheaper a month than our current rent and a real-world asset that will become even more valuable after everything's done. Especially in this crazy market, we hit the jackpot. It's basically been a fairy tale so far. We are so lucky. We are so privileged. If you'd like to see the house, you can find some pictures in the show notes. After part two of my interview with Jane Ball, however, which is episode 71, I'm feeling very conflicted about the whole thing. There is so much suffering all around us, and it's soon to increase by orders of magnitude as the climate crisis starts to change all of our lives dramatically, whether we like it or not, and whether we do a lot or we do a little. Something very big is going to be happening in the not-so-distant future. It's either going to be controlled or it's not going to be controlled. Given how perfectly and elegantly the grip on every lever of power the elite now have, I am really not seeing how it's going to be controlled. And yet, here I am, suddenly having achieved the so-called American dream. I now have a sense of security and, at least for a time, a real-world asset with a worth that's very likely to get a lot higher. Who am I to have this? The color of my skin is obviously a very big factor. So I continue to care about the powerless, like those with skin color different than my own, but now I get to do it from a perch of privilege a perch that how many black and brown people have been kept away from and knocked off of. My accepting this home makes the world a worse place. And yet at the same time, I'm doing exactly what's best for my family. Today I talk with systems consultant and GIMS associate, Neil Wilson. Neil's also the co-author of the 2020 paper and accounting model of the UK Exchequer, which is published by the Gower Initiative for Modern Money Studies, or GIMS. This is part one of a two-part episode, but it's also part four of a larger seven-part series with all three co-authors, first individually and personally, and ending with a joint interview with all three, where we discuss the paper in depth. Like my previous guests Patricia Pino, Andrew Churguin, and others, Neil discovered Modern Money Theory, or MMT, by stumbling onto Bill Mitchell's blog. A precursor to discovering and understanding MMT was a lawsuit Neil led against the UK government in 1999 in the defense of tens of thousands of people. At the time, UK law allowed, and unfortunately still allows, for workers to be treated such that they can be taxed as if they're an official employee, but treated in other ways as if they're not. In the era before Brexit, the lawsuit was an attempt to override British law with EU law. Although unsuccessful, it led Neil to question more deeply the government and how it really works. Neil also talks about his job as a systems consultant, 
companies and the government choose to bring him in. They pay him to come in to evaluate and improve their computer systems. Only sometimes, however, do they give him the power to actually make his recommended changes. So it seems to me that some of these organizations want the appearance of doing their best without actually having to do their best. Rather than eliminating what's bad and replacing it with good, the very idea of eliminating anything at all becomes simply and seemingly an impossibility. It results in the system becoming overly complex, paint on top of paint on top of paint, and for new pieces to now have to overcompensate for the old ones that really shouldn't be there at all. This is a parallel for the final three episodes in this seven-part series, which is all about the overcomplexity of the UK economy, or Exchequer, and its 800 years of redundant paint jobs. Finally, I have some thoughts about the very first thing Neil and I talk about, which is unrelated to MMT, Neil, and his paper. To avoid distracting from the heart of our conversation, you will find these thoughts after the closing music at the very end of today's episode. But for now, on to my conversation with Neil 